Okay. John always has these really cool props. He shows up with a ladder, you know, and stuff. I've never had a prop, ever. I am the prop. Thanks, that was very special, Phil. This is my prop. I don't want you distracted by staring at it through the whole message, so we'll just put it right here where you don't notice it. And that prop is going to have meaning anytime soon. <laughs> Did you all hear that? He said, it looks like a tip jar. Well, okay. No, stop, stop. Jerry, no change, please. Just swish the swish of paper. Thank you. Anyway, we'll get to this little thing in a minute. If I can uh, operate it. Okay, this is the book of Philippians, part two. And it is called Thanksgiving and Joy. Thanksgiving and Joy. We're going to find out today how the two are related. If you have one, you'll have the other. It's just pretty much automatic. They're different things, but they follow one another. Okay, so let's jump right in. We're going to start with talking about Thanksgiving first. We're going to do joy second. So here's our verse. And by the way, this is so utterly unfair. John said, here's the verse you get. The verse. It's a sentence. And I have to come up with the sermon based on one sentence. And of course, and of course, after that sentence, there's one of the most powerful verses in Philippians, and John said, Josh gets to teach on that. I get like, I don't know, the leftovers or something. So so here's my verse. I thank my God, this is Paul talking. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, what am I going to make of that? That's tough. It's just about Thanksgiving and being thankful for people and joy and stuff like that. It's not very, it's not very exciting. Given what Paul is going to say about Thanksgiving and given what Paul says about Thanksgiving in all of his other books, which we're going to look at in a minute, if he were here today, he would have 364 Thanksgiving days. And he had one crabbing and complaining day. He would reverse our calendar. Thanksgiving for Paul is breathing. It's how he spiritually breathes. And it's what gives him life. And we're going to see that as it unfolds. In most of Paul's letters to the churches, he starts it the same way. He starts it by giving thanks for those he's writing to. In fact, we're going to look at the number of um, other books in which he starts that way. You know, there's not much left over that he doesn't start that way. In Philippians, the reason for his thanksgiving is obvious from the text. He says, I always pray with joy 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Now, you could reach the conclusion based on that sentence that, that it's a utilitarian relationship. Like, I'm busy doing the gospel, and you guys are helping me, and you're joining me in that. Therefore, I'm thankful for you for joining me in the task. We could reach that conclusion because he says, I'm thanking you for your partnership in the gospel. Easy to see it that way. It'd be easy to say that Paul's thankfulness for the Philippian church is because they're co-workers in a noble cause, sort of esprit de corps, united by that. And that's true. But if we look at his other teachings about thanksgiving in his other books and what he's going to say in the rest of this book, we discover it goes far, far deeper than simply we're co-workers in a task. If we see ourselves as co-workers in a task, then the church is a business. And it will end up being run by business principles. If we say that the church is a task, it will turn into an army and it will run and function as an army. But the church is not just an army and it's not just a task, although things are true. It's a family. It's all about the relationships. Paul's love for the Philippian people goes a lot deeper than a task. It goes to the root of his understanding of spiritual connection in the family of God. And we need to look at how he describes this spiritual connection in his other books so we can understand what he's driving at in this passage. And here's a good place to start. And you've heard this, oh, Gosh, I've guys thousands of times. It's been in sermons because it's huge. So in Christ, we, though we're many, form one body. Now catch this. Each member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. This is an interesting word. The word belongs used here to belong to one another actually connotes property rights. It's a property right word. What this means, and this is really, really a radical thing, is that each one of you have property rights in all the people around you. You have rights to their life, and they have rights to your life. Functionally, it means that we have a right to each other's spiritual gifts, and we have a right to receive love from one another. Now, if that doesn't fly in the face of American individualism, nothing does. Because the air we breathe is not about our interdependence. The air we breathe in this culture is about independence. Are you with me? So, <laughs> this, is a, this is a challenging passage. This is a, a, a splash of cold water right in the face. You belong to me. I have rights in you. Fortunately, I belong to you. You have rights in me. We exist for the benefit of our spiritual brothers and sisters. Ever wondered what your life purpose is? 
Now we know your life purpose is to love well. It's to love well, to love the people around you as well as you can. It's a supernatural connectedness that goes to the very center of our beings. It is a heart connection made possible by the Holy Spirit. Only through Him can we have that kind of connectedness. Because only through a supernatural power can we overcome our own self-centeredness. Only by a greater power living within us can we overcome the power of our human nature, which is, to be honest, essentially selfish. Now, I want to say something to you. Paul starts his letters with, I'm thankful for you, and when I think of you, I remember you, and I give thanks. I love you guys. No, I mean it. I love you guys. But it's way better than that. I like you. Do you know that it's required of us to love one another, but it's not required of us to like one another? When I travel places and people say, what's your church like? I say, well, um, it's different. <laughs> and they say, what do you mean? And I say, well, we laugh a lot. And the thing I like best about our people is, I tell them, the thing I like best about our people is they're really real. They're just themselves. There's no religious posturing. They're not trying to put up a, a, great, a great front. They're just who they are. And they're not religious. They just love one another. And we laugh a lot. And this is the thing I say that, that they don't really understand because to understand this, you have to be in ministry for a while. But I say, I'll tell you something that's very unusual that I love about our church. There isn't one person in our church that I don't like. You guys aren't just lovable, you're likable. And I thank God that I get to be a part of this congregation. Well, thank you. I'll give you the, I'll give you the five dollars I promised you after this, after the service. It's great to be part of a group of people that you really enjoy being with and you like them. Now, we can all feel that way about each other because the Holy Spirit makes it possible because there's this little battery that slides inside of your heart that's full of love and it just keeps pouring out. And It's the energizer bunny battery that never runs out. This deep heart connection explains why Paul can tell us to, quote, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Isn't that an amazing thing that we can do that? And do you know that we do that oftentimes in the same, in the same moment? We come to church and we see someone who has the most wonderful story of what God did at Costco. I'm going to have you come up in, in a minute. And no, it's it's important. It's 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 really, really cool. 
We have these moments of rejoicing for the little things in life that God's touching with his fingers. And then at the same time, we're having that somebody else is facing death. And yet we're able to rejoice with those that rejoice about whatever, and we're able to mourn with those that mourn. And sometimes it seems almost schizophrenic or something like that because it, it happens within seconds of, of each other. And yet this is the miracle of our connectedness, that we can enter into someone's best moment and someone else's worst moment within a moment's in between. Guys, that's not normal. That's not the way the world does relationships. We end up, in the world, you're jealous of somebody else's great moment and you're, you're, you don't want to touch anybody else's worst moment because it might affect you. Self-interest governs in the world. But this is a whole different kind of community. This is a whole different kind of thanksgiving. This is a whole different kind of joy. But he goes beyond this. He doesn't just give thanks for people. He does it with joy. With joy. So we need to ask ourselves, what's the relationship between thanksgiving and joy? How do they work together? How do you go from one to the other? How do they function? No, I'm thinking. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute, but no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking about whether to tell the story of this jar. I'm going to tell the story of this jar. And I'm going to read it in the words of my wife, Shelley. The year my, my dad passed away, I had traveled to Canada multiple times. And I knew I would be spending Christmas there. I wanted to create Mark something special because I wasn't sure if he would be spending the holidays alone. An idea started to crystallize as I observed a discernible shift in Mark's expression earlier in the year whenever I took a moment to express my gratitude. Are you with me? She noticed I wasn't doing too well. I told you last Sunday, I confessed last Sunday publicly to being a negative person that always finds what's wrong in the situation, never what's right in the situation. I'm a professional grumbler. I am. You, look, when you, you go to law school, what do they teach you? Bad things can happen. You'll get sued. You know, something like that. Like, I came, sort of came by it, honestly. So she saw that. And she saw that when she encouraged me and thanked me, I was changed. I would change as a result of that. So she thought, well, I can do something about this. So this is what she did. I started writing down 365 reasons why I'm thankful for him. 365? I love my wife, but I can come up with three. And she's going to multiply it by 165. 365. In her words, am I thankful for my wife? Yeah, pretty much. 
yeah, after this? Listen to this. I began to write 365 reasons why I'm thankful for him, put them in a jar so he, he would have one every day. The first 100 were easy. Really? The first 100 were easy. The next 100 were a little harder. And the final 165 were pretty challenging. Do you think? Oh, and she's honest. She said, although I was tempted to add some repeats, I asked God for help. Ching. I was looking for anything that came to mind. And it felt like I was putting Mark under a microscope. But as the months passed, I began... Now, this is her transformation. Are you ready? But as the months passed, I began to see him in a different light. Being grateful changed the way I saw Mark and life in general. My mind searched for the positive aspects in each individual and circumstance. My mind began to go after the positive in people and in every life circumstance. Are you with me? People are amazed at how Shelley has coped with chronic pain. It's there all the time. All the time. In the middle of the night. In the middle of the day. It's very rare for her to have times that aren't painful. How does she live with that? How does she live above that? Well, there it is. She's married to the most amazing guy on earth. <laughs> no, that's not it. She has become a foundationally thankful person. And being a thankful person is a source of joy. Because you can always, always, always find something to be thankful for. You can always, in any circumstance, no matter how bad, you can always find something to be thankful for. You can be facing death and you can be thankful for knowing where you're going. You can be thankful that this pain is going to end and I'm going to be with him. And for the first time in my existence, I'm going to be truly myself. Free of all the garbage and nonsense that was running my choices. I'm going to be free. And just the idea of that brings joy. How often do we thank God for the people in our lives? And Paul's doing it all the time. When was the last time you told some, somebody that you're just thankful for their existence? You're thankful that you know them. You're thankful that they're in your life, that you're in their life. Pre-service prayer, Olivia. I was thinking about the things I'm thankful for, and I've been thinking about it for a while. And something keeps coming up on my list. Something keeps coming up in my list every time I go to be thankful because I'm training myself to be thankful because I'm tired of being me. 
And what keeps coming to my mind? Peanut. Peanut. They gave, they gave us their precious little Maltese puppy who is painfully cute, terminally adorable. Even when she's disobedient, I kiss her. I can't keep my hands off. She loves Shelly. She tolerates me. But I'm crazy about this dog. And she keeps coming up in my list of things to be thankful for. I'm incredibly thankful. I'm incredibly thankful to you guys for giving her to us. You're never getting her back. You have no rights of access. You can't have visitation unless it's supervised by me. But I'm thankful for you. She's wonderful. Let's look at these. Oh, God, I can't believe I picked this one. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. No, it's not that. No, it's... This is something she's thankful for that I am apologizing for constantly. Your millions of entertaining stories some with a teaching lesson at attached just for pure entertainment value. <laughs> it's one of the things I don't like about myself. Spending time with me even when you're tired. For sharing your dreams. Encouraging, encouraging me with my drops of love charity. She had to scrape. Tolerating my endless dietary, dietary peculiarities and endless popcorn making. Our house smells like popcorn all the time. <laughs> Nothing's wrong with that. She trained herself to be thankful. And in the process, she became a thankful person. And I get to live with someone whose life is not defined by her pain, but by the good things that God's doing around her and in her. Isn't that wonderful? April, would you come up here, please? She doesn't want to do this, but I don't care. Okay, here's the back story. In the pre-service prayer, the Lord gave me this phrase, and it's uh, one we've all heard a thousand times. The devil is in the details. The devil's in the... You ever heard that? The devil's in the details? Okay, here's the truth. God's in the details. If you're looking to be thankful and you want to have a, a pretty much constant thankful mindset, you're going to have to find him in the details. If you define his goodness in all the big things, they're rare enough that you're going to be doubting his goodness much of the time. But if you find him in the little things, the little the the coincidences, oh, that was just a coincidence. No, it wasn't. That was God active in my life. And even if it was a coincidence, I'm going to thank him for that coincidence. So God's in the details. And then I shared that, and April shared her Costco story. Anytime... A story involves Costco, it's God. <laughs> I think God founded Costco somehow with a vision of something. I mean, a pizza for $9? It's got to be God. Anyway, 
free food. Oh, that's got to be tough. So I was sharing how the Lord just did a real fun thing for me, and I didn't even pray about it. So that's how much he knows what our heart's desire is. So I was looking for an electric throw blanket, you know, just a small little blanket that you plug in and just warms up. And I went over to the department, and I didn't see it. And I figured, oh, darn it, they're all sold out. So I went over to the other side of the store, and I saw an employee. And I asked him, you know, do you have any more of these blankets? Can you look it up on your little phone thing? He said, no, we're all sold out. But I have one in my truck. I'll sell you for 10 bucks. It's brand new if you want it. And I said, I'll take it. I'll take it. And he said, well, why don't I just get it in my truck and see if you like it? And I said, okay. So he took his break to help me out, went to his truck, met me at my car. And he said, you know, this is it. Do you want it? I said, this is the exact blanket I was looking for. So even without me praying and asking the Lord, he just blessed me because he knew it was in my heart. So. Didn't he say, didn't he, I, earlier you said he told you that he'd won that in some kind of a... Oh, yeah, the, uh, a, a Costco a Christmas gift Party, exchange. yeah. And he said it has been in his truck since Christmas. Waiting so, for you. Waiting for me. <laughs> Thank you. And then he asked me for my phone number. No, I didn't. And then she looked in his truck and there were six more of them. This is his shtick. You got taken. Make him take the blanket back. That's so cool. See, life can be filled with these little moments of, of God's activity if we are willing to look for them. And then it gives us something to be thankful for. Okay? Now, let's go on from there to joy. That was the first part of the message was thanksgiving. And now what does it have to do with joy? And how does joy work? And how do you get more joy? Because who doesn't want more joy? Normally, when we think of joy, we think of things going right, like that. That's a great example. We, the reasons we have joy most of the time is because circumstances worked out, right? The way they should the way we planned. But have you ever had an experience of going through something very difficult and painful, but it resulted in valuable spiritual, emotional, or relational growth? Right? Like we've all had that experience. Something very bad happens, but somehow through it, we knew God better, knew ourselves better, knew somebody else better, had better relationships, or better state of mind emotionally or spiritually. But there was nothing joyous about the experience. In fact, the experience was horrible. You know what that's like. You learn something through a dark time, and then you recognize it, and you thank God. And I always tack on, I thank God. I say, thank you for what you showed me there and what you did to me. Please never do it again. <laughs> right? You don't, you, you don't want to return to the lesson. You want the lesson. So really smart is... Take the lesson to heart, make it your own, and don't forget it. Because he never has to go there again once you've got it once. 
There was nothing joyous about the experience. The joy doesn't come until the lesson is complete. Hello? The joy doesn't come until the lesson is complete. Just knowing that one fact means we have a new way of getting through the lesson. E.g., there will be something good that comes out of this, but it isn't now, and it won't be done until the lesson is learned. So therefore, our prayer becomes not God, stop this circumstance. It's God, show me the lesson so I can learn it fast so you can stop the circumstance. Right? If we can learn what he's out to teach us in a dark time, the dark time's going to end a lot. I'm really glad that you're here. I prayed that you would come today. Yeah, I did. You had to wake him up. You start calling him every Sunday, and you make sure he makes it here. I'm so glad you're back. I want to hear about Alaska. That's pretty exciting. God took me through a dark time in which I had a very, very unpleasant lesson in humility. But after it was over, I thanked him for the lesson. But my prayer ended with, please don't take me there again. Please show me my pride so I can humble myself and avoid you having to do it. Guys, we got to start valuing the lesson. You see, because what the lesson does is changes you and makes you more suited to, to eternity. The lesson here makes it possible for you to enjoy heaven more than you otherwise would enjoy heaven without the lesson. What we're building here on earth before we go home is a certain kind of character that's going to shine forever in how it reflects Lord Jesus Christ. It's like polishing a mirror here on earth and getting it as perfect as you can so when you get there, the light and beauty of him reflects off of you so perfectly that people are going, wow, that's incredible. Look at the glory coming off that person. Resto mod. Talk about that in a minute. See, the reward of heaven is how beautifully you will reflect him for eternity. And how beautifully you reflect him for eternity depends in large part on the things that happen to you here and how you react to them. Are you getting what I'm saying? When we learn our lessons, we don't just become more joyous here, we become more beautiful for eternity because we're reflecting him so accurately and so well. One of the smartest questions you can ever ask yourself in a crisis is, God, what's the lesson here? I know there is one. I'm not enjoying this. It's horrible. But there's a lesson here. What do you want to teach me in this? Because as soon as we have that, it becomes, meaning, it becomes meaningful suffering, not pointless suffering. And it changes everything because it changes our understanding of it. And, and we see that something good is going to come out of this mess. Because God is always about restoration. I watch uh, Barrett-Jackson classic car auctions. It's just stupid. It's just one Chevy, it's, it's just one um, Chevelle after another with a slightly different color and they say it's amazing. 
you know. But, but it, it's lighthearted and, and it doesn't require any thought. I was watching it the other day and uh, 60, no, 50, 53, 54 Corvette came up. Jerry. <laughs> oh, no, this was... See, used to be, back in the day, the whole thing with classic cars was you take this classic car and you restore it to exactly the condition it was when it came off the assembly line. 1953. That was the goal. Somebody got this crazy idea. Well, why don't we take that 53 Corvette and it only had a 327. In fact, in those days, not even a 327. So it's not very powerful. It's not very fast. Why don't we take that? Why don't we redo the drivetrain, redo the suspension, redo the transmission, and put a 600 horsepower motor in it? Amen, yeah. <laughs> Amen is right. And we're going to redo the interior to Bentley quality. So it looks like a Bentley in those two seats. It's, it's still as beautiful as a 53 Corvette is. And the paint's all been redone. I mean, the chrome work is immaculate. It's amazing. But it's a modern car. It's better than it was. It's better than it was when it came off the assembly line. It's a restoration with a modification. They call them resto mods. Well, when they first started doing this, it's like, you know, the old guard, well, it's not a real 53 Corvette. No, it's way better. Well, but it's not a real 53 Corvette. Jerry, the Corvette crossed the block. What did it sell for, the Restomod Corvette? That's what I thought. Maybe they'll get 350000 for it. One million dollars. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm amazed. It's like... Are you serious? A million dollars. But it is the most beautiful Corvette I've ever seen in my life. It's a modification to the original such that it's better than the original. That is what God is doing to us. And heaven is when you are the resto mod as he could make you. And you get to enjoy being that 53 Corvette resto mod for the rest of eternity. And all you got to do is cooperate with the painful restoration process. Because there's a lot of rust and there's a lot of dirt and there's a lot of bad things got to be changed. But that's the lesson. But the result is phenomenal. And you are going to enjoy being you more than you would enjoy being what it was, what you were. I keep telling people, when this is over, you are going to like yourself more when it's over than you like yourself now. There's a gain here. There's a big, fat blessing right here. You just got to get through the lesson and understand the purpose. And that will bring joy. Because you'll take joy in the changes that are happening within you. You will like yourself better after the lesson than before it. And so will everybody else. <laughs> Sad to throw that in. Here's the question. Is it possible to give thanks for the lesson in the middle of the lesson? Do we always have to wait for the result to give thanks? Why can't we identify it right in the middle and say, I'm in a lesson, it's going to be amazing? If you could give thanks for the lesson in the middle of the lesson, what would doing that do to the lesson? Would it make it easier or harder to endure? Easier. 
Would it make the pain meaningful suffering rather than pointless suffering? Which is easier to endure? Suffering with a purpose. Is it possible to... This is a big one. This is the one. Is it possible to have joy even in the middle of suffering? Can you find joy even in the middle of suffering? Well, Paul answers it. He's so practical. We also glory in our sufferings. That's wild. We also glory in our sufferings because, here's the purpose, we know that suffering produces perseverance. I'm not giving up even in the middle of this mess. I am not giving up. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And the character is that shining and reflecting Jesus in eternity because you've been refined here. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been, past tense, it's already, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. It has been poured out, and if we want it, it will continue to be poured out, and that pouring out will be a source of two things, love that you experience and joy that you experience. His love comes first, and then the joy follows. Now, the word glory... We also glory in our sufferings. We also glory in our sufferings. The word glory here translates as rejoice. So you can say it this way. We rejoice. I rejoice in the middle of my sufferings because I know that suffering produces perseverance and character and hope. And that hope doesn't disappoint, disappoint me because the love of God's been shed into my heart by the Holy Spirit. Paul is telling us that it's possible to be thankful and joyous in every circumstance, whether good or bad. And he links prayer with thanksgiving and joy. He chooses to always pray with thanksgiving and joy, and he tells us to do the same thing. And he says in Thessalonians, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Jesus. How do you feel joy and thank, thankfulness in bad circumstances? It seems like I'm faking something. Am I whistling in the dark? And we all know this. We're not thanking God for the bad circumstances. We're thanking Him in the bad circumstances. But if you thank Him in, not for the bad circumstances, but in, you can always find something to be thankful for. Like heaven. Like your forgiveness. But the good result always comes at or near the end of the painful situation. One time in a dark time, God told me to start celebrating the victory that had not yet come. And believe me, that was really hard for me to do. But here's the thing. No matter what our circumstances, we can always find joy in who He is. And what he has done for us when he died on the cross. You see, we, we're the people of the bottom line. And the bottom line is this. No matter what life brings us, I'm going to heaven. No matter what life brings me, I'm going to spend eternity with him. My worst case scenario is that I have a painful, lingering, nasty death and die. Bill Gates 
best case scenario is that he has a perfect life surrounded by absolutely every luxury and everything he could possibly have, dies a painless death in his sleep and goes to hell. That's his best. My best is I have a rough life and I go to heaven. Who wins here? Yeah. Because he's the reward. Being with him is the reward. And fortunately, the down payment of the war, reward, for the reward, the down payment begins now because we get to know him now. And we keep on knowing him better and better and better and making him the center of our life so much so that when we get there, we just got the big reward and it lasts forever. Nothing else compares to that. There, there's nothing else better than that. Guys, it's not what he does for us that's the reward. He is the reward. That means that in any circumstance, you can always thank him for being him and choosing you and loving you. He doesn't have to bless you circumstantially for you to realize you're blessed because he's the reward. Jesus. Rick, every time we sing that, Jesus, you don't owe me anything, I end up in tears. That song just reduces me to a quivering hunk of happiness. Yeah. It lasts forever. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's eternal. It's non-destructible. Yeah. Yeah. All of this we just talked about makes Paul's teaching in Philippians, which we're going to look at later, it makes it more understandable. Because he says some pretty crazy things. He says some things that are outrageous. Like rejoice, in all, rejoice all the time. Let me say it again, rejoice. Give thanks in the middle of suffering. I mean, he, he just keeps telling us these things that are so contrary to our human nature. They're hard to understand. But the beauty about Paul, I told you this last Sunday, the beauty about Paul is he lived his message. He's in that prison. This church at Philippi started in a prison. And what's he choosing to do when he's shackled? He's just been flogged. We saw what that looks like. And he's hanging against the wall in a dungeon to chains. And they decide, let's have a worship service. Let's sing hymns. And they do. And the Spirit comes and breaks open the doors. And they don't leave. They're still there. I can't understand that. What prompted him to stay in the prison after the doors popped open? The Holy Spirit. And that turns into the, the jailer, the warden, and his whole family becoming Christians, and that's the first church in Philippi. That's the beginning of the whole thing. Everything about that, everything humanly about Paul's experience was he should have left a long time ago, never go back, wipe the dust off your feet. These people are crazy. 
And yet he stays and he endures all his suffering. And out of it comes that church and out of that comes the credibility of this message because he lived this message before he taught it. So when he tells us later in the book where joy comes from and how to be thankful in all circumstances, it's because he know, he's, not, he's not spouting platitudes. This is his experience. He lived this message. So he's got credibility. So when he tells it to us, we can go, well, he knows. I don't know, but he knows. He says later in the book, don't be anxious about anything. Seriously? But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace, the peace of God. I don't know about you guys, but the peace of God is my most prized possession. I know I'm supposed to say salvation, but I've already taken that for granted. But in the here and the now, the thing I need most and the thing I desire most is the peace of God. And the peace of God which goes beyond transcends reason. You can't figure out how you can have peace in the middle of the mess with reason. But the peace of God, the supernatural peace and presence of God will come to you and it will guard your hearts and your minds and your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions. It will guard you and protect you and it will be your strength and it will be your joy. In this first petitionary prayer, thanksgiving, peace, and joy are interrelated. This is how we should pray. Okay? That's it. That's how we should pray. That we, we, um, we find ourselves again with a few minutes. How shall we end? We've got three minutes. <laughs> Jerry, let's spend three minutes talking about hot rods and resto mods. A man after my own heart. Can we sing that song again? Jesus, you don't owe me anything. Great. Oh, oh yeah. Um, prayer teams, come on up. If you're here and you need prayer for absolutely anything at all, come on up and receive it. Let's just worship together. You can stand to your feet before coming up to prayer. Let's sing this together. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm caught up. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave oh I'm not here for blessings Jesus 
just want you and nothing else, nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do. I just want you and nothing else, nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do. Welcome to stay and uh, and just worship, stay in this atmosphere. But if you need prayer, we just welcome you down front. We'd love to pray with you. Thanks for joining us online. Hope that you were blessed today. May the Lord bless and keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance on you and give you peace. Thanks for joining us today.